You're listening to the Pandemic Podcast. We equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of today's crises. My name is Matt Bodker, and I'm joined with my good friend, Dr. Stephen Kissler, an epidemiologist of or at the Harvard School of Public Health. He's not actually the building itself or the university. He is a person. And Dr. Mark Hello. Kissler. <laughs> there he is. And Dr. Mark is gone. He's at the hospital doing his thing. Stephen, good to see you, man. How you been? Yeah. I have, it's good to see you too. Um, I'm doing well. I'm I'm doing tired. I'm doing well. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Great hashtag for this episode. I'm doing tired. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> man. I yeah. You were just talking about off the air of just like everybody else wrestling with. Well, I think you're in a whole other level because it, like for me, it's how do we cope? How do we do things? How do we see friends? You mentioned this off the air, but you are more mm-hmm. of a consultant as well to all of your friends as well. <laughs> right. We're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go do this. What should I do? So that's got to be exhausting, man. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think we're all we're all sort of bearing our own exhausting mm-hmm. things in our own way. You know, like you, you were saying, you were just up with kids you know, <laughs> for a lot of the night. You know, yeah. and that's not something I have to deal with. But that's it's you know, we each have our own our own burden to bear. Yep, absolutely. So. Yeah, I we're recording this a little bit later than normal because we were going to do it earlier. But uh, my youngest decided to get up at one. And then it just kept us up almost all night. And then all these great articles that I had clipped were just empty when we were getting ready for the podcast. So I had to find some new material. So it was just one of those perfect storms. But we're here. We saw some awesome content. So let's get going. Before we go, obviously, always, please leave a review. You can find the link in the show notes at Apple Podcasts. We love them. It helps us rise in the rankings, get, get them most exposure. Here's a couple. They just kind of facilitate why we're trying to do this here. One is from, it's kind, of, uh, it's kind of a little, hold on. One is from mstock23, and he says, or she says, thanks, I appreciate any news source that offers unbiased, non-political information analysis of coronavirus. So far, this is the only one I've found, and that's awesome and also incredibly sad that we're the only ones that he's found so far, or she, (laughs) (laughs) that is really sad. Um, That's what we're trying to hear to do. Other one, uh, Q27L. Thank you so much for this informative and clarifying podcast. It is particularly in these times when there is so much misinformation and disinformation circulating, a relief to come upon information of this quality. Thank you so much. Thanks, Q27L and MSTOCK23. That's so helpful. And if you can, please, please leave a review if you can. Also, still trying to raise the last 350 to pay off everything. Thank you so much for all of your generosity. If anyone has the means, would like to, you can do that really simply. Just go to the show notes, PayPal, Venmo links right there. One-time donation would be incredibly, we'd be incredibly thankful. Okay. We start with this, Stephen. A question from Deborah. I think this paints a good picture for, for all the stuff we were chatting about just before we even recorded. It kind of is the big umbrella. She says, thanks for your podcast. A quick question. And this is, this is by the way, the question I've been getting at, in Boulder at CU as well just this past week. I see COVID cases rising, rising, especially sadly in Boulder. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. It is a bummer. But all, but, uh, she says, bummer. But all over where I see cases rising, I don't see a similar rise in deaths. Hmm. What's up with that, Deborah asks. So, Stephen, I know we had this question kind of similarly around Memorial Day and the aftermath Mm -hmm. of this. And I think this is kind of a similar question. What is going on and why we're seeing the increases in infection, but not death rates? Yeah. So great question. And I think it remains, it remains relevant and will throughout the fall. And and I I think really the biggest part of this is, is the lag. And we hear about the lag between, you know, cases and hospitalizations because it, it takes a while for a person to get sick enough to go to the hospital. But there's also a, an epidemiological side of this too, which is that you know, 
one of the things that's really driving a lot of these rises in cases is students going back to school. And many of those people are, are young people and so are less likely to go to the hospital anyway. And so there's, there's that additional delay then where those people then have to infect other people who then infect other people who then infect people who may go to the hospital. And so, so I think that we're, there's the biggest, the biggest explanation for it really is, is the lag. Now, part of it, too, is just the, the increased amount of testing that we're doing. So we're able to see these increases more quickly, and we have just sort of more sensitivity in a way to, to see the cases starting to rise. And you can actually see this if you look back at the relative number of cases and deaths in the U.S. overall, or in some of the places that sort of saw two different waves of spread, thinking about Florida, Arizona. And, you know, what, what you see is that the relative number of deaths for cases was, was pretty high in the spring. And part of that was because we really weren't testing a lot. We didn't have our testing capacity mm-hmm. up very high. And then as it went on, there was definitely, there was about a month long delay between cases and deaths, uh, for example, in Florida. Nevertheless, the, the deaths rose, but they didn't, even though the number of cases was a lot higher than what we saw earlier in the spring, the number of deaths was sort of comparable to what they saw earlier in the spring. Okay. And that's because of the increased testing. So we're sort of seeing that as well, where we're seeing a lot more cases. So unfortunately, you know, unless, unless we're able to keep a handle on things, you know, one thing leads to another, you know, it's, there, there's really no way to yeah. avoid it unless we really can tamp down spread quickly. And so unfortunately I think it's, it's probably yet to come, but again, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able, uh, we know a lot more about what we need to do yeah. to, to prevent the spread. And, and the only way to prevent those downstream deaths and hospitalizations is by preventing the spread now, even if right now the spread is in young people. Yep. Yeah. I know we see a couple articles that just, I've been seeing this past week and the Midwest, many states, something like, I mean, it changes every day. So it's hard for me to even just know where we're at. Like it's 21 states, 22 states are seeing rises kind of build up. I see this article about, uh, I'm not sure what this exactly means. I kind of have an idea. Positive COVID-19 test rates, top 25% in some U.S. Midwest states. So we're seeing a rise. And then you're saying is maybe about four weeks or so-ish that typically we start mm-hmm. seeing a rise in and death rates subsequently. Now, I right. think it makes it all more complicated. With Boulder, we were talking about this, just like the sadness of this, where there's a couple things. We'll talk about our, if you guys have heard in the US or maybe over overseas that Boulder has taken a particular stance on, on a lockdown. And we'll talk about this and whether it's a good thing or not so good thing. But I think it's all the more complicated with college towns because, it, again, same thing. It's a rise among young students, which we do know they're not escaped from mortality from this, but it's it's it's, it's obviously uh, maybe a lesser on the scale of this. So we're this is one of the things that always get, kind of makes me a little unsettled because we, you know I'm having conversations you know within with college students and all over the place at Boulder, and they see the rise of of infections and contagiousness and, and the rates of COVID, but then their immediate question is like, look, there's no deaths, you know, so no big deal. I'm like, do we, do we really have to have that be the litmus test of like? You know, okay, once we get a death and we lose someone, then we can say, okay, let's talk, let's start taking this seriously, or can we be a little preventative? But it makes it complicated, right? Because there's college students, so they themselves have to probably go. Well, you know, generally speaking, go hang out with some elderly people, some older people, some immune compromised people, and then another three or four weeks before we see the collateral damage. And so let's get into this because I think it's fascinating. Last week, I, mean, I didn't even know it until somebody brought it to my attention that Boulder took a unique stance. So to paint a picture for you guys, Boulder is a college town. When, when, you know, it, when 
the students come to Boulder, I don't know what it does, but I feel like it almost doubles the size of Boulder. It's just an enormous yeah. population increase. And so they have an enormous influence on the whole community. And so I would imagine Boulder is an older, slightly older demographic. Older demographic. It's incredibly expensive to live there. We don't live there. We have to live far away from Boulder. And so it's a wealthy town as well. A lot of people who've retired, professors as well. And so there's been an increase of COVID cases. And we saw that it looks like almost 80% of the COVID cases around 18 to 22 year olds. So we're, we're, I mean, this is not a big shock, right? I mean, they weren't going to be at Norland, Norland, you know, Norland library doing their studies and their individual cubicles. They were going to be other places. You've heard it before the Hill party and those kind of things. So as of Thursday, there was a dramatic shift and by by the whole, like the municipal court, it's, it's, it's a city of Boulder saying for two weeks, two weeks, Stephen, that anyone between the ages of 18 and 22, cannot do anything outside of a party of one. Like literally that is it. They literally say if it's more than one person yourself, that is breaking the law, right? And that there is there you can go to jail for X amount of months. There's definitely a hefty fine. For two weeks, you can do nothing besides be with yourself. Now, what is your opinion on this, Stephen, of like, is this an appropriate thing? Is this considered a surgical maneuver? Because it's a demographic eighteen to twenty two. It's an interesting surgical approach. Is this the best thing uh, that they should maybe be doing? Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> that's uh, that is quite a response. And you know, like you said, I've, I, I'm not totally up on all of the details of you know what what the what the new mandate states, but it's pretty important to reduce spread. You know, that's something that we know for sure. But at this point in the pandemic, we have pretty good sense of what we need to do to do that, and we know that relatively speaking small gatherings, bubble type things, you know, where you're only seeing like a small number of unique people over time, masked outdoors, like all of these things are very effective mm-hmm. at reducing spread and can mitigate the a lot of the other problems that can come along with literal isolation mm-hmm. for long periods of time, especially at a time when people are separated from their families, many of them for the first time are in communities that they may not fully feel a part of. Yeah. You know, it's my transition to college was a pr- pretty rough time in my life. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's really hard. And I think that you know, both being separated from all sorts of community and, and also, you know, having uh, like uh, some of the, the consequences that you mentioned are, are pretty severe. Yeah. Like there's, there's like a certain fear yeah. of, you know, in addition to the fear that comes along with contracting or spreading COVID, now there's also a fear of, of, of legal response as well, yeah. if, if you're seen with another person. And I, I mean, uh, so the real danger, so, so I want to, I want to think about this from a public health perspective. Public health is full of a long history of, of very strong responses, trying to get people to change their behavior. And oftentimes, the the strictest measures can backfire. So we think about this a lot with with respect to like national travel restrictions, and often those can delay the spread of infection. But but there are circumstances in which people do need to travel, and and so sort of issuing a blanket statement about that it can lead to a lot of sort of resistance and it can sort of undermine the the credibility and the authority of of the policymakers and that's what i'm worried about here is that that with such a strict set of guidelines that that frankly you know we have we have ways of controlling the spread of this virus that are not that strict and and i and i fear that it will undermine and sort of create this antagonism when when public health 
public health is built on trust. You know, like yeah. nothing works unless we trust each other and unless we trust our authorities. And, and that's been a part of the, the tragedy of a lot of this pandemic so far is that I think that for all sorts of reasons, we've, we've lost trust in each other and in our authorities yeah. and for all sorts of different reasons. Now, we were talking a lot about lockdowns earlier in the pandemic and, and, and sort of like, so, so what am I doing here? Right? Like I, I, I was certainly an advocate for, for sort of large scale lockdowns earlier in the pandemic and where are we now? And, and, and again, it's, it's, it's because we've, we've learned so much, you know, early on in the pandemic, we didn't know if spread was indoor, outdoor, droplet, aerosol, whatever. All we knew was that it could bring cities like Wuhan. It could bring cities like Milan in Northern Italy to their knees. You know, it could completely overwhelm places. And we didn't know where it was, how it was spreading, but we knew that something needed to happen or else we would see a similar sort of catastrophe in cities here. And so we needed to sort of have this like blanket response because we didn't know anything, but we knew enough to know that this could be catastrophic. We know a lot more now. and, And so I think that like it's... It seems like the the order that's in place there is 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 to try to prevent it's to try to prevent parties yeah. it seems like yeah. you know it's to try to prevent like large gatherings of people indoors or outdoors but you know it's like it's a very specific thing that it's trying to prevent but it seems like it's doing it in a pretty crude manner mm-hmm. and uh, it concerns me yeah. it, you know yeah. I I worry about trust going forward and trust is what we need most yep. I, and then you know I talked to my sister about this which she's been on early on a couple times and her first response was, oh, I wonder, to see you, has they upped up their, their counseling services? Because this is going to be a, right. I mean, that's, the, I hope they really proportionately leveraged, you know, all the possible resources they can have, because this is, I mean, when I meet with students, you know, at, I mean, obviously, right? They don't have happy faces right now. They're, they're frustrated right. but in the point of tears, right? This is a whole, be, me being 42, I, I don't think I'm ever going to truly appreciate like where they're at. I'm so removed. Mm-hmm. And the need for this kind of community. After all, that's why they. Well, okay. Hopefully, hopefully they came to college for an education too. But they they also came for the connection, the community, and to find themselves. And then all of this is just so it's it's all the more I think this 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 law or this this whatever we want to call it is all the more I think painful for this for the college students. So yeah, it's it's crazy. I agree. It's it really is just cracking down the parties. That's that was the issue on the hill. Lots of them. This is their way to crack down on it. Could there have been a different different means of doing it? I'm guessing so. As you said, we learned so much. And it gets me to this next article, but this is related because we're no longer in March. We're not in April. We're way past that. We're now approaching October. And even though it's been seven months or eight months, whatever, it's been a long seven months. It feels like five years. And I feel like in some sense, we've learned about an unknown virus in about in seven months period, what sometimes takes years and decades to be able to understand and appropriate. So thankful for that, for a worldwide effort to do this. And here we are with the CDC reversing its guidelines on this airborne virus. And I have to tell you, Steve, I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, you know, I'm, I WTF, like I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. I'm like, what, what is going on? Because who gives a rat's behind? I say that only because <laughs> I don't want to have to put the, the, the curse word filter on this episode, right? On the, but like, right. I just don't get this, Stephen, because I'm seeing this, that we're, we're all this effort in the media is talking about the reversal and it's airborne. And does this even matter, Stephen? I mean, am I just burying my head in the sand or have we come to the point in our podcast, the episodes like, look, how this thing spreads, generally speaking, I mean, if you want to do that 2080 rule, and I think it's even more than that, it's like 2099, even though it doesn't add up, but like what of just, it's about duration of exposure, proximity, right? 
So in my mind, it's it's not a it's not these like these evil little molecules. Once one hanging around at Whole Foods, just waiting to infect someone, and that one little molecule just destroy a population. Maybe, but it's like it seems so outlandish. Like, what is the point of this that we're talking about? Isn't the truth just let's stay away from big groups indoors? Let's keep masks. And I put this in the context of Boulder only because, again, I think this reflects maybe. We, we've learned so much and we've gone so far. This may not have been the approach necessary to be able to. Is this really important right. to talk about still? I mean, so it's, again, it's like important from a scientific perspective yeah. so that we know sort of, you know, what this thing is sure. and, and how it spreads. And, and as we're getting, you know, hopefully eventually we get to the point where, you know, we're really trying to tamp down infection as much as possible where, you know, I, I was just talking with a friend of mine from New Zealand the other day, you know, and they're essentially all restrictions that are lifted. He was telling me that they, they didn't have any new cases in the entire country yesterday. Awesome. Yeah. You know, right. And so, so at that point, they're really trying to like prevent every, every single transmission if they can. Yeah. And that, but that's, that's a different game, yeah. you know, over there that they're playing right now. We're, we're just <laughs> trying to like stop the, you know, we're like trying to slow down the train a little bit. Yeah. And, and we know, I, I think the, the, the biggest issue is that there's, so frequently, I think in public health, but also in so much of our discourse, we, we enter into the either or mindset rather than the both and mindset and how does everything fit together. And so it's either droplet or aerosol, but it, that's not, that's not the case. It's, yeah. it's both. Yeah. And it's predominantly the, like COVID is pr- like every shred of evidence that we have available is that the phrase you used earlier was the meat and potatoes, <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, like that's, that's yeah. the, the way that it's largely spread is through close, long duration indoor contact Mm -hmm. that's you know that 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 all of the contact tracing that we've done you know it it all seems like that's that's really the predominant mode of spread and like you know can aerosolized virus spread you know absolutely that's that's you know it, it can spread that way for sure but if that's the key thing about epidemiology is that we don't need to stop every single transmission to yeah. get on top of this virus, right? We need to stop some fraction of them. And and if we're interested in stopping a fraction of them, we can do that through all of the things that we have available. And yeah. uh, like we know we know we know how to do that. And so there's there's no big shifts here. There's no like breaking, you know, news that that like all of a sudden everything that yeah. we thought was like thrown out thrown to the wind. It's like it's it's the same virus that we've been dealing with. We know a lot of what's effective and and we're learning about it. You know, mm-hmm. this is I'm, I don't want to say that this is unimportant and I think that it is important to acknowledge that this is a possible route of spread sure. because you know, it it is there. It's it, and it and it, it, it I think the value of it is that it it, it shows that the, you know, 6 foot masked rule is not mm-hmm. like like this like magical barrier mm-hmm. that's going to prevent everyone from getting infected, which I've, I, is also sort of like this, the, this yeah. idea that, that seems to have taken hold, you know, like it's not, it's not this perfect bubble that you're yeah. building around you, but, but it's, it's, it seems to be sufficient. Yeah. And so that's the important thing here. Mm-hmm. No, I th- you think you're right on. This is something I'm just particularly passionate about, Stephen. I think it's just like, I, I just love, I, I love the idea of maximizing what I can get out of my investment, right? That's anybody's desire, right? And so all these extra layers of insurance policies that we add up that might, that might help, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. And I think we see this is a perfect example with Boulder. This, this might help. It may not help too. It depends on, like you said, if, if there's this mass like exodus of like, you know, screw this, right? That's not going right. to help at all, but it may help. But what? But what consequence? And or, or in this, I think this is the issue, isn't it, Stephen? Like the both sides of the right. issue of those who are, 
I don't want to, I, I, it's like, I, there's no either or. So everything is a false dichotomy. It's not like pro pandemic against pandemic. It, it's there, obviously it's so much more nuanced. There's a whole flavor of what you see about COVID, the response, how we should behave. And everybody I think is on the same level, except for, I guess, if you say the extreme conspiracy theorists that believe that COVID doesn't actually exist, that's an, I think on a different playing field, but those who actually believe that COVID is something we're all in the same spectrum of like, Whatever we do, we've got to do it in such a way that, as we said back in March, that the solution isn't worse than the problem. And you're all for that. Everyone's all for that. And and as we've gone through, and we're now we're in October, we've kind of fine-tuned that answer a little bit. And it seems to be working pretty well. And we don't have to have all of, all of this. We don't have to have every single possible infection of COVID down to zero, right? I think Fauci was saying, if we got it down to 10,000 a day, we'd be in a great spot, right? You know, and but we're, you know... We're not there. So I'm just, I'm mesmerized. I'm confused. I see why those people who are, are hesitant, like you said, are distrusting because right. these things happen and we're wondering, what? Is this really, is this really the right solution? Or is somebody being mm-hmm. lazy? I don't know, but it just doesn't seem. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. Another thing in light of more stuff about this, like the Scotland stuff. This is kind of the same complexity. I saw this yesterday, Stephen, and I'm like, oh, I wanted to pick your brain. You had some interesting insights. So Scotland is having another surge, if you don't know yet, and they're trying to understand what they're going to do. I'll put the, the link in the show notes. I think you have a link as well that you can give to me. You mentioned off the, off the air about this a little bit. So Scotland initially did apparently a pretty, pretty significant lockdown, had like roughly 4,600 death cases. Then you have Sweden have like, I don't know, I'm just, it's roughly 5,600 death cases who didn't do a lockdown. And now Scotland's like, whoa, this was pointless. And we see that, you know, the economy for Scotland was more than twice impacted as Sweden. They're looking, they're looking to Sweden saying they might be the answer. Is that, is that where they should be going? Is it more complicated? Is there a difference between Scotland and how can we use this to navigate our own train uh, terrain here in the U S of those people who are like, see, Sweden's the answer. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky. Like, you know, it's the, uh, one of the canonical rules in epidemiology is that something that works in one country, like almost as a rule will not work in another, (laughs) you know, when we think about building models. So like the example that I'm thinking of is that, um, there's somebody who is building a model of, of how measles dynamics work in different countries. And uh, you, you literally have to use different models because in some countries, the dynamics are totally governed by birth rates. Basically, a new measles outbreak comes every time you get basically a new pool of susceptible kids being born. Whereas in other countries, it has much more to do with vaccination rates and geographic dispersal of those things. You know, and it it leads to totally, totally different things, even though it's the same virus, right? And it's due to differences in population structure, how the population, you know, is oriented in space, all sorts of things. And so the good thing, you know, and in, in this article you mentioned, they were saying that, you know, it, it shows that this light touch approach that Sweden yeah. uh, has used can't work. And it's true. I mean, it's that it's like, you know, it's, it's true to some extent. It depends on your metric of work, too. You know, they've, they've had a much higher fatality rate than anywhere else in Scandinavia as well. Sure. So it's worked on some level and really failed in other ways. And, and so it really depends sort of like what your end, end goal is here, too. Sure. 
But the other key thing is that, so I've been spending more time sort of thinking about how Sweden differs from the United States, but some of the key things is is that the obesity rate in Sweden is way lower than it is here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And also the proportion of people living in single occupancy households is way higher, right? So this goes back to the mode of spread that we know that there are very clear risk factors for severe illness. And we also know that prolonged indoor exposure is the thing that leads to spread. And so if you're living alone, you're going to have far fewer opportunities to spread to other people and and just the epidemic is going to stay more contained. And so it's really important to bear these differences in mind as we are thinking about, you know, what what can work for one country versus another. Same goes for New Zealand, you know, like great for them for for basically having no cases, but like, you know, in the US we could try to emulate that, but we can't. We're not an island. Yeah. You know, we're it's just not going to work here the way that it worked there. And that's just because of the constraints that we have for being the country that we are. Mm. And so each country has their own challenges. And so I think that you know, jumping too quickly to saying, you know, we should have a lighter touch because it worked for Sweden is, is, is a little bit dangerous. You have to like look at your the demographics of your population. You have to look at household occupancy. And you also have to recognize that there is there is a lot of randomness here too. Yeah. You know, part of the cases that were in Scotland were probably driven by their proximity to, you know, the there, there's a lot of movement between there and London, for example. Yeah. Um, London is a much bigger city than Stockholm. And, you know, so all of these things play into it. And and so I think the most important thing we can do is implement the policies that we think are best, but maintain really strong surveillance and make sure that we're we're able to turn on a dime if things start spiraling out of control. So I you know I, I'm it's totally I think it's fine if, if Scotland feels like they that that the best thing for their country and for the for disease control is to have a lighter approach. Yeah. You know, like they said, Sweden has had some success in some areas in doing that. And so, you know, it, that, that may be, that may be a way forward, but, but you got to be prepared to, yeah. to change course. That's great. That's, I think it's perfect. I just love what you said. It just shows again, the complexity you're just saying, yeah, like Sweden did have good, some good results. It's great. We're, you know, it's not like this, like lockdown, pro lockdown, anti-lockdown. It depends on where you're at, what time, what's the situation, the circumstances. It's, it's, it's part of the process. So, Thank you for that. It helps just, again, show the complexity for those people who still come to me and like, see, Sweden was the answer. We should have done this. And again, it's it's way more complicated than that. And thank you kind of for elevating that once again. Hopefully this was useful for those of you who are listening, for those of you who I, I still come encounter with, these kind of people, just to elevate the complexity of the situation. A couple more things I want to chat before we close up. I see this often as well. And, and this is kind of related uh, to what we've been talking about as well. We talked about, I want to talk about the fall. What's going to be expecting in the next 12 months? We, I know we talked about this last week, but again, I just keep seeing these articles and I want to throw it past you. For me, I feel like it's sensationalism when I constantly hear it's not going to be over until 2021, at the end of 2021. And mm-hmm. for me, I feel like it's a little bit of fear mongering because what does over mean? Is it that like, is it the last possible residual effects of the coronavirus are finally over? Will it be over? Because I get the sense the way the article drums up is that, okay, well, next spring is going to be not too different than last spring. But I just feel like everything in my heart says and my mind says that's not the case. Like next spring is going to be fundamentally different than last spring. So this concept of over, number one, as you mentioned off the record, I think is misleading. Number two, mm-hmm. I don't even know what that over means in the context of next spring. Because in my mind, it's going to be a lot better. Next summer is going to be a lot better. And so this, it's, it's more sensationalism. Steven? 
Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. It's I, I'm pretty optimistic that next year will <laughs> look a lot different than this year did. Yeah. Bookending epidemics is is a really difficult thing to do. You know, with with viruses, with novel viruses like SARS-CoV-2, it's a little easier to pinpoint the beginning. You know, we can say that, you know it like crossed over at this point, even though it's been sort of evolving and moving around, probably you know like in different animal hosts, whatever. But like we can say you know the first jump into humans, like we can sort of pinpoint that start date very easily. But if you think like in the history of the world, there have been very few end dates for any any pathogen whatsoever. You know, we we have an end date for smallpox. Yeah. That there was you know we've 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 managed to eradicate that. Just recently, you know, great news that the that polio appears to have been eradicated from the African continent. You know, awesome. amazing. Yeah. It's still circulating elsewhere in the world, though. Mm. You know, and so like, what is what is actually the end? And it's hard to say. You know, so I, I think it's pretty clear to me. Like, I I would be absolutely shocked if any time in the next you know few years. I like I I think I think SARS CoV two will be with us. For a very long time, mm-hmm. you know, I think that the virus will continue to circulate uh, through 2021 and probably through 2030. And, you know, <laughs> sure. it's just like I, I think that it's likely that it will continue to circulate, but we'll find ways to manage it. Hopefully our bodies will build up yeah. a bit more of an immune response to it. Maybe it'll become a seasonal type coronavirus. Maybe it'll be more severe than a seasonal coronavirus. I'm, I'm not totally sure what that's going to look like, but I think it will be with us for a while. But the question of like, when will the pandemic be over? I think it's tricky and I don't think there's going to be an end to it, yeah. really. I think that, you know, next spring, again, we know a lot more about the virus. We'll have a lot more testing. Hopefully we'll have some vaccine candidates that are starting to be distributed to people and that will help. And that will give us, you know, each of those things in some sense buys us a little bit more freedom and a little bit more sort of agency over our lives. And that'll be way different than this past spring where we had no idea what we were dealing with. And we had these widespread lockdowns. I I, I don't think it's going to look like that. And it, it will probably continue spreading and it may continue spreading through the summer and into the fall. And, and I think that's, it, it, there, there's something good behind these, these proclamations, you know, that it's not going to be over until the end of 2021. I mean, it, in some sense, I think that I, I might be a little bit responsible for that because the paper that we <laughs> no, published earlier awesome. this year was, was basically, you yeah. know, it, it was saying that essentially this, you yeah. know, that we're going to be dealing with this for a long period of time. And, and that was, that was the yeah. crux of the paper is like, we need to be in this for the long game. Yeah. And that's true. We're going to have to find ways to manage and deal with this for a long period of time. But that's the thing. We're, we're, we're transitioning from a state of sort of acute, acute care to yeah. chronic care. You know, we're in, on a population sense. We're mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to live with this, how to live our lives in the midst of it. And I think that we're going to have more and more technologies and strategies between testing and vaccines and treatments to be able to do that and to do that well. And most importantly, among those, just knowledge, knowledge of how it spreads, knowledge yeah. of what constitutes risky behavior. And that's, that will help. So, so I think that, you know, it's, yeah, I, I I'm not going to pick an end date because in some senses, I think 21, 20, the end of 2021 maybe is like too long in a sense, but in a lot of other cases, I think it's way too early, sure. you know, like yeah. I think it's going to be with us for a long time yeah. after that. But, but what that actually means concretely for our lives, I think is, is, is different than what it might seem on the surface. Yeah. No, that's helpful. I think the reason why I just want to bring it up is because in my mind, when I hear these things and I would imagine there's probably a few listeners when they see these articles it's, it's hard not to think your current experience in April and apply it to that, that, that measurement. And I just want to just put that down. I, 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 as you already said, I don't think on any level that's going to be the case. And I think when we say the long term that it may never be over, 
I mean, just think in your image, what you just said, Stephen, to other people who are listening, like polio and these things that like, that still subsist in certain countries, but it's not at the top of your mind. We've learned to live with it, not in this white knuckle sense, but in a proactive mm-hmm. sense. I think that's what I think. I want to like, I want to help free people to think that I don't think it's going to be the white knuckle version of the N21, right. but it's going to be more of this like open up and more freer sense of it's not at top of mind. That's but but because right. we learned the way to deal deal with it and go back to our new normal. Hey, and it, it, some things about living with it are going to be awesome. You're going to go to a hotel place and it's going to be spotless for the rest of your life. They, they're, they're, they've nailed the cleanliness that's going to go forever and ever and ever. Right? There's some great consequences that uh, mm-hmm. you know for for those of you who are worried about germs and and, and, and hotel rooms. <laughs> so PSA for you guys. Okay, before we land this, you just talked about vaccines. What's the update on vaccines? Is there anything, anything coming out of pile? You're mentioning like Johnson Johnson. I'm out of this loop. I don't know what's going on. What's the update on it? Yeah, so th- there's a another vaccine candidate that is under phase three trials um, being produced by Johnson and Johnson, which is great. You know, again, the more shots on goal, the better. Yeah. One of the good things about this that people have been excited about is that most of the other vaccine candidates require two doses, and this one only requires one. Oh, nice. And so that could make it a lot more sort of scalable, which would be great. So, so that's, that's really one of the key things. There have also been reports with one of the other vaccines that there may have been a couple of adverse reactions okay. to it, severe adverse reactions. And I think we're just going to have to stay tuned and see okay. what that means for the development of that vaccine. Um, Which one was that one? Again, it's, that med- uh, I, I believe it's the AstraZeneca. Oh, that one. Yeah. Um, so that's the same yeah. one from, I, I mean, have you, I'm curious, have you had any updates on Moderna? Cause that's like right in your neighborhood, right? It's in, in, in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just up the road. But right. I, yeah, I, I haven't heard any updates, but I, 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 during a phase three trial, I think that no news is good yeah, news. Sure. You know, it's uh, cautiously speaking, but yeah. So okay. great. That leads us to that. We're at the end. Thanks so much, Stephen. It's great to be on again with you. If you want to get in contact with Stephen, best way, Twitter, S T E P H E N K S S L E R. If you want to reach out to us, Matt at livingthereal.com. I will always forward those on directly to Stephen and Mark so they can get the good news of how their wisdom has, has changed and formed and give you hope in your own life and to deal with the new normal. Uh, once more, again, trying to raise the last 350, feel free, go in the show notes, uh, Venmo and PayPal. Just one-time gift would be so incredibly, we'd be incredibly thankful. And anything else? No, I think that's it. Leave a review and we'll see you guys all next week. Take care. Bye-bye.